0: Good morning church, we are uh, going to be in the book of Job this morning, you can turn there as we continue in our series that we've entitled Out of Darkness. Uh, I woke up this morning sick and I'm hoping the only thing to deliver to you today is a sermon. Um, I tell you that because after the the service I'm scooting out just the back because I don't want to get anybody sick this morning, so don't think I'm trying to be antisocial today. Um, after the message time. Let's pray together as we go to the word. Father, we thank you for your word. And we're thankful for the truth of of your word, Lord. And we're thankful for all that we know to be true of you. Thankful, Lord, for the time that we've had to worship you already this morning through our singing and our giving to you. And Lord, now we want to worship you as we open your word together and look at it to exalt you, give you glory. God, I pray that you would challenge us this morning and that we might faithfully honor you and serve you as your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been in the series, Out of Darkness. This is week three of our series and uh, to this point we've covered a number of different areas that we've wanted to cover over the course of this series. We've looked at suffering in the world and the reality of suffering in the world. We've looked at choosing faith in the midst of suffering last week, how even though suffering comes and difficulties come into our lives, uh, our desire as believers in Christ, even in the midst of suffering, uh, should be to choose faith, should be to honor the Lord and stay faithful in honoring Him even in the midst of suffering. We want to look this week at this understanding that feelings are real in suffering during hardships, during difficulties, during trying times, feelings are very real. We'll look at bad counsel next week, how to respond to God and restoration as we continue through this series in Job. We've looked at this point in Job chapters 1 and 2, and I want to get us up to speed together as we dive in this morning. And so I want to do a little bit of of reading, some lengthy reading as we've done the last two weeks. I, I know that we've already read the passages, but I want to just read again some, some parts of these passages and make some comments to get us up to speed with chapter 3 where we are this morning. So look again at Job chapter 1 to get us up to speed. And look at verses 1 through 5 with me. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters, he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast Had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So Job is a very wealthy man. Job is a man that was uh, a God fearing man, one that was described here in Job 1 as blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Uh, Might that be said of you and I today as believers in Christ that we are those that fear God and turn away from evil. I wonder, could it even be said of us over the past week or even the past couple of days that the way in which we live and the way in which we go throughout this life that we would be considered to be blameless and upright? Do we demonstrate in our words and our actions that we fear God and that we turn away from evil. If we're honest too often, not only do we not turn away from evil, but we turn to it, don't we? Yet here Job is, as set apart, a man that was blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. So Job had children as well, the passage tells us. Job so much feared God and so much loved his children that Job would even offer sacrifice on their behalf to the Lord in case they had sinned. And Job did this continually, the passage says. So again, building up Job in our minds as to who this individual was, a man that feared God, hated evil, a very wealthy man, a man that cared deeply for his children and wanted and sought to honor God continually in all that he was doing. Look at verse 6 now. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. Now let's stop right there for just a moment. You have the sons of God coming to present themselves before the Lord, and I don't understand all of that. Some of you might read that and be like, what did that look like? I really don't know, but it's interesting, isn't it? They came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord asks Satan, where have you come from? God's not asking a question for information. He already knows. Satan makes it very clear, going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And I, I read that, and I want to stop there for a minute. I want us to understand something, that our adversary, the devil, he is always active Where have you come from, Satan? I think, what an eerie response. I don't know how he would have sounded the way he said it to the Lord. I don't know what that would have looked like, but I think we can breeze past this too quickly. From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. He's just looking for trouble. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Stop there because, man, this took me some time to wrap my head around. A lot of times when we think of the story of Job and we think of what happened in Job's life, we have this impression that Satan went to God and said, let me at Job. My Bible tells me That while Satan presented himself to the Lord, the Lord brings up Job by name to Satan. And if Job wasn't already in Satan's sights, now he was. The Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him in all the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. See, I don't want us to miss something I feel is so very important as we read the book of Job... All that was going to happen to Job, all that would take place in Job's life, all that would transpire in the life of Job was not something that would take God by surprise. And I don't fully understand it, but it was the Lord that would bring Job up by name to Satan here. God was fully aware of the strength that he would provide Job, he was fully aware that as we would read at the conclusion of Job, that the latter end of Job would be more blessed than the beginning part of Job. But the Lord brings his servant Job up by name. And then look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. And stop for a minute because this is another interesting point I found as I was reading this. Is that when the Lord brings up Job by name to Satan, Satan doesn't have to go do any research. He doesn't say, if you consider my servant Job. And Satan's like, well let me, hold on, let me me go find out who he is and and I'll get back to you on that. Job fully was known by Satan. And what this tells me is that Satan wanted at Job previously but he hadn't been able to get to him. Because when God brings Job up by name to Satan, right away Satan says, does Job fear God for no reason? He knew Job. He knew all about him. He says, you've put a hedge around him, his house and all that he has on every side. I know who Job is and I know that he fears you and I know what you've done for him. You've put a hedge around him. And when I read this and read that the devil's opinion of of Job and what God has done for Job is that God has put a hedge around Job, that God has protected Job. God has set a hedge around Job, his house, and all that he has. And he says, On every side, let us not forget that our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. Jesus would tell Peter, Peter, the devil, Satan, desires to destroy you. He says to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. I believe what we see here in in Satan's response is one of, of, I think, frustration. Frustration. But also of reality. And he makes something that's crystal clear here. And I don't even think he means to make this point. But he does. And it should serve as a great reminder for you and I today. When God puts a hedge around his people, the devil can do nothing to them. And whatever happens as a child of God, it is only at the permissible hand of God that it is happening. You have put a hedge around him his house, and all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. He knew all about Job. His success, his prosperity, his blamelessness in the sight of God and all that God had done in Job's life. Satan says in verse 11, but stretch out your hand, And touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I thought, man, what an eerie, eerie statement to consider that the Lord would say to Satan, all that he has is in your hand. And you know what? If it just ended right there, that would be really scary. But when he says, only against him do not stretch out your hand. You know what that tells me? Job's still fully in the Lord's hand. Fully in the Lord's hand. Because he allowed Satan to have Job into his hand to an extent. But it was the Lord still in control and authority over Satan here. It was the Lord that was set in the parameters here. But I want us to get this backdrop. Job, perfect, a bright man, fears God, hates evil, blameless in God's sight. God brings up his servant Job by name to Satan, who, oh, by the way, knows all about Job. He says, you've protected Job, you put a hedge around Job, you've not let me at Job, but let me at him, and he will curse you to your face. And I believe Satan fully believed that. And so what we have, just before we get into verse 13, is you have Satan giving his undivided attention in opposition to the Lord, to our God, to utterly destroy Job. To bring Job to a point of cursing God. And that's what he set out to do. Look at verse 13. As we read this, keep in mind this is Satan, full-fledged attack on Job, wanting Job to curse God. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. There came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Attack after attack after attack after attack. And I wonder what great anticipation Satan had as he watched after all of this happens to Job. And he's probably standing right next to Job to watch, to hear with his own ears, Job cursing God. Because that's what he set out to accomplish. And this is what he hears, this is what he sees, verse 20. Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Satan was so convinced, so bold, God, that if you will just put out your hand against him and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. And yet what he sees from Job is, blessed be the name of the Lord. We won't read it, but chapter 2, Satan will go at it one more time. And he tells God, let me take his health, let me touch his body, and he'll curse you to your face. And so God would allow Satan to come and touch Job's body Verse 7, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his head, a foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. This is where Job's at right now. Now we're going to get into chapter 3 here, but I want to finish out chapter 2 that we've not read yet. Look at verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite. they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven, and they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said, A man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren, let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes." Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and be quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold, who filled up their houses with silver. Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there. The slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. This is a man who is in deep, deep darkness, depression, and sorrow for all that has transpired and taken place in his life. I want to make a number of points this morning in regards to our understanding of Job 3 and this idea of feelings and emotions. Number one, feelings are real. Feelings are real. Our emotions are real. Job would begin in chapter 3 by saying, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Verse 3, Let the day perish on which I was born. Job's feelings are very real. He would curse the day of his birth. In verse 10, he would say, Because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Job would desire that he was never even born. The day of his birth, he wished, would never even have taken place He wanted nothing to do with life. And he says in verse 10, nor would it hide trouble from my eyes. I've had trouble before my eyes. I want you to consider something this morning as I was reading this. I believe Job's anguish and sorrow and trouble is not all found in his sorrow or trouble regarding himself. But it means that if Job was never born, his children would never have been born. It means that if Job had never been born his, and he would never have had the servants that he had and all the possessions that he had, it means that they would not be killed, his children would not be killed. I believe Job's sorrow and emotion and feeling so very real here is being expressed and is overflowing in his expression, understanding what has taken place in his life. The circumstances of our days have a direct impact and effect on our feelings, don't They? It's why sometimes we might go home at the end of a long day and be troubled or sad or sorrowful or whatever because of the circumstances of life. And that has a direct impact on our emotions and feelings. And there are times that we say and do things out of our emotions and feelings that we otherwise would never say and never do. Last week, ironically enough, last weekend I was sick and as I was sick, I was at home, and I wasn't feeling well, and I wasn't feeling myself. And, and Shoshana took the girls, and they, they left the house and, and to get something to eat and go to the stores. They had to get some things, so I was left there by myself, and I'm sitting on a chair, and I'm huddled up with a blanket, and I'm out of it. I'm just not feeling well. And one of my daughters, she was uh, Leah was earlier in the day uh, watching Cars, the, the movie Cars. And so I push play on Cars, and it's towards the end of the movie, and I'm like wrapped up in this blanket, and I'm watching it. And I counted like six times in the last like 45 minutes of Cars, I was tearing up at that movie. <laughs> like six times. I'm sitting on this chair and I'm huddled up. And, and there's, if you've seen the movie, there's one spot where the, the main character who's, a, who's an animated car is, <laughs> is driving around a track. And he has his microphone in and he hears the voice of this retired driver, the Hudson Hornet. And he was like, you gotta hang in there, buddy. And I immediately started like getting emotional, like, <laughs> and I've seen the movie like a bunch of times. And there was like six different scenes as I'm sitting there wrapped up in this blanket with my inner self <laughs> tearing up. My wife came home and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I was like, I was tearing up during cars, and she just looked, she's like, You did? But I, I think it's important that we understand our feelings and emotions have, are directly impacted by the circumstances and things that happen around us. And when we read Job chapter 3, it's very easy to read Job chapter 3 and think, what in the world is Job thinking here? But friends, don't forget the full-fledged attack, all-out attack and focus of Satan himself to do everything he could possibly imagine to destroy Job has just taken place in Job's life. The devil believe me left no stone unturned in trying to get Job to curse God and die. And we're reading about that here and Job's feelings are very real. But I believe we also see that feelings are necessary. Feelings are necessary Look at verses 20 to 22 again, where Job says, Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Uh, I believe that we see as part of living, and Job would not be alone in this, that there are those, plural, that Job speaks of that long for death that long for the grave, that long for an end to all of the troubles and all of the things that happen in our lives. And feelings are necessary. We need them for expression, for coping. But I believe that also is important to understand that they're not only necessary, but feelings are God-given. Now, I don't mean sinful emotions or sinful anger or acting in sin in our emotion or in our feelings but feelings emotions are God given we've been created in the image of God and God has created us with intellect emotion and will God himself has attributes that are associated with emotion and that he loves and that he hates Jesus, who would weep at the death of Lazarus and weep with those that would weep, that would rejoice with those that would rejoice. There's commands given to us in regards to our feelings and emotions. Being angry and not sinning, mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and weeping with those who weep. Paul the Apostle spoke about his great longing and desire to be with the believers. He spoke of his longing and his desire for heaven. Feelings are God-given. Emotions are God-given. We've been created in the image of God. But in that, I believe we also have to understand that feelings are not to be authoritative. Feelings are not to be authoritative. We are never given instruction in Scripture to make our feelings our authority. And so, too often, that happens. Verse 24 to 26 of the passage, Job says, My sighing comes instead of my bread. My groanings are poured out like water. The thing I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. You see, when our feelings start to become authoritative, we begin to make decisions that are not honoring to God. And things get very messy. And then fifth, I feel like we need to understand, I said feel like, we need to understand that feelings are not to override faith. Feelings are not to override faith. Our feelings must never override our faith. Decisions that are entirely based upon emotions and feelings are not wise decisions. See, as a believer, and I believe this is very important for us to understand, I, I, I want us to get the reality that there is evil in this world, that suffering does exist, that trials and difficulties will come for a variety of reasons and reasons that we don't always know. And I want us to understand that feelings are real. Feelings are necessary and feelings are God-given. But they're not to be authoritative and feelings are not to supersede or override our faith. And I want to make a statement that I feel is entirely relevant and important in regards to this. So please listen to this. As a believer, if we can read God's word, know what God says, know what God expects, and know what God's standards are, but feel entitled to do the direct opposite because of our emotions or feelings, that is not called liberty. That is called sin. Let me read this again. As a believer, if we can read God's word, know what God's word says, know what God expects, and know what God's standards are, but feel entitled to do the direct opposite because of our emotions or feelings. That is not Christian liberty, that is sin. And too often as believers, we allow our feelings and our emotions from the circumstances of our lives to override and supersede our faith. Our feelings must never have a higher priority than God's glory. And when we begin to allow that to take place, we are sinning against God. See, Job was struggling here. Job was down and out here. He expresses his emotions and feelings. In one sense, it's healthy to do that. But Job, I believe, even crosses that in Job 3 in an unhealthy manner where Job is even cursing the day in which he was born. And whereas Job does not curse God here, he curses the day in which he was born. He curses not only the day in which he was born, but then all of the days after that would follow, desiring that they would never take place, that they would never even have happened in his life. And he misses and loses sight in Job chapter 3 of the reality of God's plan that he's orchestrating in his life. But we have to give Job a little bit of credit because Job doesn't know the end like we do. He doesn't know it yet. And yet his faith, as we will see throughout the book, would remain. It would be later on in the book of Job that Job would proclaim in Job chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed in my flesh, I shall see God. You see, Job's faith in God would not be wavered here. Job's consistent faith in God would remain because he knew that his Redeemer lived. He knew that God would accomplish all that God said he would accomplish. He knew that though his flesh be destroyed, yet in his flesh and with his own eyes, he would see his God and he would rejoice in that. He said, my heart faints within me he would come to that realization he would come to that recognition you see everything that was happening in job's life everything that the devil threw at job through the permission of god the devil meant to destroy job so that job would curse god to his face And yet Job, in the midst of the great suffering and anguish he would be in, and the great trial and tribulation that had come upon him, he would remain faithful to God. He would remain faithful to God. He would worship God. He would give it to his God. He would be faithful. I wonder, where are we today? Where are we today When troubles come, when difficulties come, when things happen that we don't know quite why, where does our faith lie? Where does our focus lie? Who is it that will receive the glory? As we've been doing the last couple weeks, I want to hear a testimony from one of our, our members here at Maranatha. I'm going to ask Jim Creed to come. and He's going to share a little bit of his story of what God is doing in his life, and how God is using it.
1: Welcome to Maranatha. Glad you're here. Half of you just recognized me. I'm the greeter at the door. One of my spiritual gifts is greedy. Anyways, I am so honored to be here this morning. And what Bruce said about crying at cars, this is a new, breathe deep. This is an emotional journey. Psalm 118, 24 says, This is a day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You are looking at a guy who is glad. I am rejoicing. I am happy to be here today. Because I learned that each day is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Aren't you excited when you get a gift? Me too. And let me tell you how I learned this valuable lesson. Because it is so valuable. 26 years and 25 pounds ago, I was 44 years old. I had my first heart attack. My first... I need the cars my first heart attack and my first open-heart surgery. There is nothing remarkable about that. That's an everyday occurrence. But what is remarkable is what happened over the next 26 years. I've had an additional 10 heart attacks. I had a stroke. I had three aneurysms. I had emergency surgery to repair an aneurysm that was ready to burst. And more heart procedures than you can ever count My doctors don't look at me as a patient. They think I'm an annuity. (laughs) I'm a trip to Aruba. I'm the car painter on that new BMW. (laughs) As you might have guessed, I deal with this with humor. Uh, Let me tell you about my last one. On June in, in August of 2018, I had an upset stomach for a week. Nothing cardio, I had an icky tummy. For one week, it wouldn't go away. Finally, on Friday morning, my beautiful wife, Midge, said, why don't you call the cardiologist just to check to make sure it's not your heart? I called down and talked to the PA, and we agreed that it didn't sound cardio, but he said, why don't you go down to the hospital, have an EKG, and run the blood, just to be sure. So miracle number one was I followed his directions and went. (laughs) I went down there. They did an EKG, and it was a little bit irregular. But the blood work was fine. Nothing's going on. The enzymes were good. But because of the EKG, they kept me just to observe. They put me in the ICU. They hooked me up. All the whistles and bells and the beep, beep, beep three hours later i had a heart attack how god is that had we not gone to the heart had we not gone to the hospital that day it would have been a completely different outcome but you know the one thing and it really resonated bruce that you said today is i was rolling into the cath lab you know this clear as a belly, remember thinking, rolling me down the road down the aisle. And I looked up and I thought, one of these times, this isn't going to work. It didn't. They went in, they calf, they looked and came right back out. I knew something was wrong just for the, the tension in the room. They rolled me back in. There was nothing that they could do to open a vessel would cause more harm than good my heart was inoperable as i stand here today before you i have 5 100 percent blockages my widowmaker is 80% blocked my anterior is 90% blocked and I have two aneurysms for good measure. Um, My heart doesn't beat, it ticks. From a medical prognosis, the outlook is dim. We really didn't expect to see Christmas in 2018, but here we are 18 months later, but God. Over 26 years, we have seen blockages cleared. We've seen my heart restart after being dead for a month. We have seen countless doctors throw up their hands and say, I can't explain it. But God. Had the doctors gone in like we prayed, Midge and I decided we're going to the clinic, we're going somewhere, they're going to cut me and make it right again, we'll take our chances on the table. But God had other plans. When they said it was inoperable, nobody would touch me. We were shaken. But God had other plans. You know, had they done it... People would look and say, isn't the clinic fantastic? They can do miraculous things. No, isn't God fantastic? He does magnificent things. You know, in John 9, it says, I love what it says in John 9, it says, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. With a blind man? Why did this happen? Who sinned? Was it you? Was it you? No. This happened so that God's work might be displayed in his life. And that's what we're called. It's it's not the surgeons, it's the it's God, it's the body, it's the cards, it's the letters, it's the, the visits, it's the it's the prayer that we have in this body of Christ. James 5 16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful, and I am here to tell you that it is. God is powerful, and each day is a gift. I can't imagine what it's like going through what we've been through the last 26 years without you guys, without our body of Christ, without our friends, without the prayer and support that we've received. You know, I am nothing special, but my God is. You know, I have lived for 26 years on Philippians 4, 4 through 6, that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Let your gentleness, let your happiness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. mind through Christ Jesus. I have that peace. Do you? The highway of life is littered with speed bumps, potholes, delays, detours, and sometimes just traffic jams. There are troubles out there. And, but if you know God, He gives you, if you know Jesus like we know Jesus, he gives you his grace to get you through it. You know, it's here for all of us. And today, as you sit here, you have heart problems too. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's kids. Maybe it's an addiction. Jesus wants to carry your burden through it. And give you his strength. In a few minutes, Jay's gonna sing our favorite song. Do it again. Now you'll understand why. That when I hear that song, it's. <laughs> yeah. Do it again. He'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. If you would join us up here and pray and ask the Lord to take your burdens. He will. He guarantees it. Thank you so much.